How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma City Thunder, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello there, everyone. We're locked in for episode 39 of Locked on Thunder, presented by the Norman Transcript. I'm your host, Fred Katz. Locked on Thunder is part of the Locked on Podcast Network. You can head on to iTunes and search Locked on Thunder to subscribe to the podcast there. You can also leave a review, preferably five stars if you're feeling like it. Find us on audioboom.com, too. You can go to normantranscript.com to follow my Thunder coverage as well. Remember, I'm on every day of the week now. Off on weekends, but on Monday through Friday, there was a fun mailbag yesterday on Russell Westbrook and the Thunder defense and more. In case you missed that, you can find that wherever you're listening to this podcast today. A little talk on Ennis Cantor, and then we're going to get to chatting with Locked On Spurs host with Locked On Spurs host Jeff Garcia. But first, a quick tidbit on the man, the myth, the legend, the stash bro, Enos Cantor. What up, Enos Cantor? Enes Kanter, Enes Kanter, I, I, I always, you know, I'm the only person I feel like who doesn't mess up the Robertson Roberson pronunciation, but I always say Enes and Enes and mess up Enes and Enes all the time. So I apologize to Enes Kanter or Enes Kanter. I apologize to Enes Kanter because it is so disrespectful and wrong to mispronounce somebody's name all the time. It, it is annoying and I annoy myself with it. So I can't imagine how much I must annoy other people if I say Enes. But I find Kanter to be one of the more intriguing players in the NBA this season. And that's not just because of the pronunciation. It's because it's not just because he's he's polarizing either. He certainly is polarizing. Uh, but that's not the only reason. It's not just because he's so fantastic on offense and yet has so much work to do on the other end of the floor. Uh, it, it, it's That's not everything. It's not even just because of his personality. Kanter has quickly become one of the most fun players in the league, and he and Adams are so great together. I don't even love following most athletes on Twitter. I follow very few athletes on social media. I like to keep my timelines a little more uncluttered by guys tweeting out promotional stuff or whatever it is that they're tweeting, but I highly recommend the Kanter follow on Twitter. He's great. He's legitimately funny. But again, that's not everything. While all these reasons contribute to him being fascinating. They're all parts of the puzzle, piecing together what makes his situation one of the more interesting ones in the NBA. Again, not everything. They're not everything. What really puts him over the top in him becoming, I think, this year, one of the most intriguing players in the league is his position with the team. And I don't mean his position on the court. I mean his actual contract, the uncertainty about his future. Now, let me be clear. I'm not reporting anything about Cano's future right now. I know it can be confusing when you hear reporters say things or say opinions or whatever it is, and it can be a little it can be a little confusing over whether it's a report or whether it's just somebody saying what they believe. And let me just be clear: this is just a personal opinion. This is not a report. I'm not reporting anything. There's no. I'm not reporting inside information right now. But here's some stuff that I find interesting where we can infer that there might be something up with his position in the team. So when the Thunder traded for Joffrey Laverne, and I've brought this up a lot, 
they brought a guy onto their team who's going to have a guaranteed contract when the year begins. And that made for 16 players with guaranteed deals on the roster. Or I should say 16 players who are going to have guaranteed players on the, guaranteed deals on the roster once the first day of the season begins October 26th. And I'm not sure I or others on the team can overplay this. There's going to be a change on the roster before the season starts. It's going to happen. The fact that the Thunder roster is not done right now is something that we should be paying attention to. There has to be a move. 16 men on the team with deals that will be guaranteed at the start of the year. Only 15 are allowed on the team by league rule. 16 minus 15 is one. At least one guy is going. Somehow, some way, someone who is on the Thunder right now and has a, a deal that will guarantee at the start of the year, someone is not going to be on the team. It's going to be somebody. They have to get rid of someone. It's happening. And considering the surplus of bigs on the roster, that's where the Thunder can most afford to shed some weight with the bigs. That's what makes sense. They're strapped at wings. They've got three point guards. They've got a surplus of bigs. You think it's going to be one of the bigs. Now, Mitch McGarry could go. The Thunder could just trade him for a future second-round pick that's protected and leave it at that. But there are other possible trades, too. They could flip Laverne. They could flip Ersan Ilyasova. There are guys they can move. There are tons of bigs. Maybe, maybe something happens with Nick Collison, who's been on the Thunder since 1938. But... Some, someone can go. There's no one who's absolutely expendable in the right deal. And Cantor's one of those guys. But Cantor, this just brings up the conversation of Cantor's trade value. That's all this situation does. Because he's one of the bigs. And I do think from a basketball perspective, and I know, I know it's, we talk about players as assets, right? And sometimes I do think we do it in somewhat of a disrespectful way. But in this sense, the NBA is a business. And if someone has to go, you have to talk about players as to what their value is with other teams. And I do think, just as a fan of the way front offices work and operate, I do think Canner's value is just the most interesting. He's got three years, $54 million left on his deal. That includes this upcoming year. You can bring back a big financial piece for him because in the NBA, when you're trading with teams that are over the salary cap, you have to match salary cap money. You can't just trade a guy for someone who makes five times less money than him. The money that you're bringing back has to be a certain percentage of the money that you're parting with during a deal. That's the way it works when you're over the salary cap. So if you got a big contract like Canner, you can financially afford to bring back a big piece. It can happen. But considering, and considering he's so polarizing, you could find one guy, one GM, who values him a little more than the rest of the NBA. And now I wonder what Canner's value is going to be on the open market. I do wonder, because a five who isn't going to anchor your defense, it's tough to find a consistent role for that guy, even though Canner, I think, did get better on defense last year. Like, look at Nikola Vucevic's career, or Nikola Pekovic. Man, saved in Nikola's. Jokic, you're our only hope! But could Canner be included in a larger deal? Like, could could that happen? Is he Is he bound to improve this year like he did last year, and he, which he didn't prove on defense last year. He really did. He wasn't great, but he was certainly better as a center guarding, at least. He, I don't know how much better he was as a four-man guarding away from the rim, but he was better as a center, at least. So many questions about Cantor this year. I'm not sure I have tons of answers, but I'm not sure anybody does. What exactly is his value? Does he even have an exact value? Will he actually take another step this year? Are his positives worth his flaws? Will he become the world's greatest athlete to follow on Twitter? That last one's in play. Don't deny it. You know it's in play. Anyway, some things just, just some things to sit on with Canner. 
Someone asked me on Twitter the other day if I thought Cantor would be on this team by the All-Star break. I can't answer that. It's so tough with someone like him. I'm like, figuring out a market for someone like him, considering it takes one GM to love him. And for that, for the Thunder to pounce on that deal, after all, that's what happened with the Thunder, right? When they traded for him with the Jazz. That's what happened. The Thunder loved him. They jumped on him. So I don't know. I don't know what the future is for Cantor. But as just a fan of basketball, as a total nerd for the inner workings of front offices, I'm excited to see how this all plays out. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So joining Locked On Thunder, or maybe I'm joining Locked On Spurs, it's worlds colliding at the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On Spurs host, Jeff Garcia, what's going on? Nothing much, just out here taking a little time to talk some Spurs Thunder as the NBA season is about to begin in a few weeks. I, I can't wait. Uh, Jeff is Jeff is kind enough. You're 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 at an office right now, right? You're you're really taking time I'm on the cell phone to talk. Yeah, I'm actually in the lobby of a skyscraper right now. But this is how much I'd rather be talking Spurs Thunder than at a desk. <laughs> a sky a sky. Oh, I guess you are because you're in New York. I was going to say a skyscraper in San Antonio. My goodness, what is that? I know, I know. One of those those don't exist in SA, but now I'm in the lobby. Actually, I'm overlooking. The, the Staten Island Ferry right now as it heads on out to Staten Island. So I'm in the financial district, but you know it would it would it, a Thunder and a Spurs guy would be talking about two teams in New York. Go figure. And we're both we're both in New York right now. So there you go. Yeah, we're both in New York. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's get started. Let's let's these two teams played in the playoffs last year. Quick outline for. Those who may not know, Spurs, 67-15 and 15 last year, made it to the second round of the playoffs. Obviously, they fell to the Thunder in six games after taking a 2-1 series lead in the Western Conference semifinals. The Thunder, 55 wins, and they went all the way to the Western Conference finals, took a 3-1 lead on the Warriors before they obviously famously lost three in a row, and Klay Thompson hit a lot of threes, and, and the Warriors won in, uh, in Game 7. Obviously, these rosters are a little bit different. Basically, the two biggest legends from both of these teams. Now, Obviously, Kevin Durant and Tim Duncan were in really different spots in their careers, but those are the two most famous players. The two most important guys for their franchise are no longer there. I'm wondering, let's let's do a little uh, embrace debate here. Is there a guy, which guy do you think was, was, was a more detrimental loss for his team? Now, obviously, I realize that Kevin Durant on the court was the bigger deal because Tim Duncan had fallen off, but there's so much that Tim Duncan had given to that franchise. Is there a case for Tim Duncan in that argument? Uh, yeah, I, there's a big case. Uh, Tim Duncan was the floor general on the defensive end. And quite frankly, I think that he could have played another year just based on his defense alone. He was that vital for the Spurs heading into next season. And let's face it, their defense, that's world-renowned Spurs defense first, that's going to take a hit next year. They're going to be very porous in the paint. Shall I begin? David Lee, Pau Gasol. I mean, what more do I have to say? So that's how important Tim Duncan was in their chase for ring number six next season. Uh, you know, who there, there was nobody on the defensive end like Duncan who can call out. Pretty much he was a linebacker. If you don't think, think of an analogy here, he was a linebacker of the Spurs defensively. He would yell, hey, TP, Tony Parker, somebody, somebody send in the pick for you. Hey, weak side help, I'm coming. You know, just something, just to organize the guys on the defensive end, because let's face it, defense wins titles. That's how the Spurs were able to get a majority of their five titles 
in their franchise history. Losing him is big. I mean, not only just not only on the court, but even on in the locker room. He was a guy that would put his arm around the shoulders of younger players that got chewed out by Pop, had horrible games. He was the rock. You're losing the rock. He's gone. So now who's going to step up? You know, Parker, Ginobili, and Pop, they're still there. But, you know, Duncan was a special type of player. I think losing him as a, and in the Spurs franchise is a bigger hit than losing direct. Tim Duncan, maybe my favorite basketball player of all time. Like, really good argument for my favorite basketball player of all time. Prime, prime Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan's maybe my favorite basketball player all the time, not just because prime Tim Duncan was unbelievable, but because right. old Tim Duncan was also unbelievable. Uh, Tim Duncan also broke down in the end of last year, I thought. He was he was still quality defensively. But but like the, right. those 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 couple of playoff series, I mean, I, I thought that he was he was not giving them as much on the floor. Uh, he didn't look as good defensively because he, once he got him away from the rim, he I, I didn't think he was nearly as good defensively. Still, tremendous rim protector, unbelievable calling out signals, as good of a team defender as you could ever ask for. Unbelievable that he never won Defensive Player of the Year. Exactly. Un- unbelievable Insane. that Tim Duncan never won a Defensive Player of the Year. That's mind-boggling that that never happened. Like, it is crazy to think that that never, like, it, it's, I mean, I realize that, you know, Ron Artest, say, prime Ron Artest was a phenomenal defensive player. But it's amazing to me to think that Ron Artest, as a wing, was a defensive player of the year, and Tim Duncan just never won one. And I'm not even necessarily second-guessing the voters, because it's hard to look back on defensive player of the years, and except for maybe, you know, I, Marcus Camby, I don't know if I disagree, if I agree with that one, but... Most of them are, are pretty are pretty decent over the last fifteen years. You kind of look at them and say, "Okay, I get that pick. That's a good pick." But but it's just amazing that Duncan, from over a twenty year career or eighteen years, whatever it was, he never accumulated nineteen years. I guess it was he he never accumulated one of those awards. That's amazing to me. That being said, I mean Kevin Durant's a top three player, so I think losing Kevin Durant is is the bigger hit just because it's prime Kevin Durant. Now, if you want to talk prime Duncan. That's a totally different story, but uh, I, I just think Prime Prime Durant is the bigger hit and kind of knocked them off their, their their you know where they were and very near the top of the Western Conference. And now I think they're going to make that fall. Where I don't think the Spurs are going to make as much of a fall. But what's interesting about the way that these two rosters are put together, I think, is that both of them. Well, you know, before we talk about this, let's talk about the Western Conference semifinals, shall we? You want to yes, do it? Is that we'll we'll tick off some of the Spurs listeners on this one. Yeah, exactly. We're going <clears> to <throat> open up some old wounds right now. And by the way, listeners, right now, I'm under the weather right now, but I'm battling through it, so please forgive me. I, I, I'm sure they'll find it in their hearts. I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering, from from your perspective, because uh, you're going to have a better perspective on this than I will, since you're, you know, you're a San Antonio guy. You're following this closer than I am, all the way from Oklahoma. I'm wondering, does did the way that the Spurs lost this year – now? From the from judging from their personnel moves in the offseason, getting David Lee, uh, you know, getting Pau Gasol, watching Duncan retire, not really going out and getting you know and and bolstering the roster outside of Gasol and Lee, right, the kind of the two biggest names they brought in, who are both kind of conventional old school bigs. Do you think that that loss and the way that they lost does that change the philosophy at all in San Antonio of? of going against the grain with the, because last year they were against the grain of where general basketball philosophy is going, right? Like they took a ton of mid range right. shots. They didn't take a lot of threes. 
It worked out of the post a ton. And you know what? It worked. They had a remarkably efficient offense in doing that. And they figured out ways to score efficiently on inefficient shots, which shows both the skill of their players and the brilliance of the way that their team was put together on top of just the the, the phenomenal schemes that they have and, and the way that they go about scoring. And it showed that, you know, not all mid-range shots are created equal and not all three-point shots are created equal. Uh, because if you look at their shot breakdowns without actually looking at how many makes they had and you just look at how many shots they took from different spots on the floor, you would probably guess they had a below-average offense. And they were, I'm pretty sure, a top five. They were definitely top ten. I'm pretty sure they were a top five offense in terms of offensive efficiency. They might have been top three or four. Uh, so, so when taking mostly what's considered to be inefficient shots and they had a lot of bigs and, and they often played two conventional kind of old school bigs, uh, this year it looks like they're doing the same. And I'm wondering if that loss early now, the Spurs are not a reactive organization. They're not somebody who says, Ooh, six game sample size. Let's totally change our philosophy from 82 games or, or probably even more. And our philosophy of what we think about basketball, they're just not an organization that'll do that. But do you think there are going to be any sort of reverberations from that loss heading into this year, especially with no Duncan to hold them down and kind of the transition to Kawhi is now, you can say, you know, obviously he was the best player on that team, but now with Duncan absolutely gone, it's really official. You know, you're starting to see a change of uh, makeup of what they're looking for going forward now. The victory is over. It's done. You know, they're, they're, they're clearly going in a younger, more athletic uh, street. Yes, you, you'll be looking at Lee and Gasol. They're not, they don't fit that bill, but they're definitely looking long-term now. They brought in over some of their foreign draft picks already, namely Davis Bertans, Olivia John Charles even dipped into Team Argentina again, shocking, I know, by getting two Argentinians, young guys, Nicolas Laprovitola, a guard, and Patricio Garino, uh, a small forward forward, uh, into the mix. Now, and of course, drafting DeJounte Murray, a 19 year old point guard. They're obviously looking at the future. Yeah, they're trying to get younger. And I think what they saw and what they experienced in uh, OKC and then losing the series the way they did. Uh, you know, it was a, it was obvious they needed to get at more athletic, and they're trying to address that. You could also throw in the mix Dwayne Dedman, a uh, pickup off of the Orlando Magic. I like that he pickup now. Though. Yeah, yeah, he is a, a huge pickup. Uh, you know, athletic, big, exactly what the Spurs need. Now you could project it out. More than likely, their starting lineup is going to be Danny Green, Tony Parker, Val Gasol, Lamarcus Aldridge, and Kawhi, and that's probably what it's going to look like. Not a very quick team, starting five right there, but their bench is where they're going to be looking at. You're looking at Patty Mills, Manu Ginobili. You know, if Pop is going to unleash the reins on the rookies, you know, his reputation. If you're a rookie, if you're a young kid on the roster, it takes a lot for you to convince them to get minutes. You know, David Lee's going to be coming off that bench. So they're clearly moving into a youth movement here and a foreign invasion as well, but mainly more of a youth movement. So I think they saw the writing on the wall that their core, their original core, the original big three, it's pretty much their best years are behind them. Let's look to a new uh, big three or even a duo with LaMarcus Aldridge and Kawhi. How do we build around those two guys? LaMarcus is in his prime. Kawhi, you know, probably is entering his prime now, which is scary. You know, their three-point shot was off last year. Matt Bonner was buried in the bench. Danny Green, we all know about his outside shot. You know, it fell off the map after having a great couple of years shooting from long. Uh, you know, Patty Mills was pretty much the 
the most consistent three-point threat, but they lost that. So you're looking at a Bertans who is who hits three-pointers like they're layups. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. For those of y'all listening, YouTube, Davis Bertans highlights, and your, your mouth will just drop. Yeah, so, yeah, they're moving in a direction of a more offensive-minded team. But I think not next I think next year you're going to see a lot of, of both. You're going to see a both a running team and a slow-down defensive team. My concern in this is our mutual enemy, which is the Warriors, can this big team that they're going to trot out, can that contend with the lineup of death that Golden State has or even a smaller, quicker, younger team like Oklahoma has with Westbrook, Oladipo, and company? So that remains to be seen, but they are big. That's a that's a big um, that's a big no pun intended uh, point that the Spurs are hitting into next season. A very large team. Because people forget there's dead men on that bench too, and not to mention you know they they bring in another big recently, another foreign prospect Ryan Richards, a seven footer out of Great Britain. You now they bring him in. Are these guys going to make the roster? Probably not. They can be in Austin in the D League or Barry in the bench. But it's just, you can just see the writing on the wall. They're trying to get younger. They're trying to get more athletic. And they're looking for athletic bigs. And, and, and something else that I think is interesting is that these two teams, maybe more than any, any other, have rosters that are kind of relying on big men. Now, obviously, with the, with the Spurs, it's a little bit different because, you know, the Spurs, have, the Spurs the, the, their strength is clearly in their front court with Kawhi and with LaMarcus Aldridge. I mean, those are obviously the two best players on that team, and those are the two guys who are going to have to carry that team this year. And with the Thunder, the best player is obviously the point guard and Russell Westbrook. But when you talk about just the depth of the roster, the Thunder are by far the deepest when it comes to the big men. I think the Spurs have a lot of big men, too. And I'm talking conventional bigs. I mean, Ersan Ilyasova right. is really the only stretch big who shoots threes out of any of these big men that we're talking about, you know, um, but the thunder, you can just go down the list and it's a ton of them. And they have, they have a lot of guys. I mean, we're talking Steven Adams, Cantor, Ilyasova, Joffrey Laverne, who they just traded for Sabonis, Nicholas, and Mitch McGarry, which you is know, a nice little pickup for you guys. Yeah. I like that deal, but yeah, they, that they was had, a really good deal. They had, um, you know, there, there's so many big men on that roster. And I think it's interesting that, the rosters, I'd still say, are super different in style. I'm not even talking about quality right now. I'm just talking in style. Even two rosters who have maybe prioritized conventional old-school big men as much as any other rosters in the league. And 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 they're doing it differently. And, and one of the things that surprised me about the Spurs offseason, I thought the thing that they were going to change after that series, I mean, you talk about getting more athletic, and this is maybe, maybe a part of that. Uh, but I, I thought one of the things that, they were going to do after they lost to the Thunder. Something I was really exposed about their roster as a flaw in their roster was they don't really have any drivers. They don't have guys who are really good at getting into the paint and creating like wings and guards who are good at getting into the paint and creating from the paint. You know, Patty Mills is an awesome shooter and I think he's one of the best backup point guards in the league, but he's also not really good at driving. Tony Parker has kind of lost half a step and he's not nearly, I mean, Tony Parker in his prime was about as good as getting into and finishing in the paint as any other point guard in the NBA. Now he's still got a gazillion moves once he gets there, but it's a little tougher for him to get there. And it's certainly tougher for him to create and drive and kick and all that stuff once he gets there. And I think that's one of the reasons why they didn't shoot quite as many threes last year as other teams. Maybe they had to work their offense knowing that 
they didn't really have those guys who could get into the lane and create. Meanwhile, if you look at the Thunder's starting lineup, now the Thunder don't have, you know, an arsenal of guys who are incredible at, at creating. There aren't a ton of those guys, and they certainly don't have a wing who can do it. It's all within the guards. I mean, but if you look at that starting lineup, I mean, that's Oladipo and Russell Westbrook. That's their strength. Like, Russell Westbrook's strength is his athleticism, his explosion, his ability to get into the paint. And that's Oladipo's strength, his explosion, his ability to drive by guys, his ability to go around to pick and roll and dart to the basket. I mean, this is is a strength of these guys. And so I I wonder how the guards will differently mesh with the bigs. It's just going to be a very different – it's going to be – they're going to be very different teams in terms of style this year, even if some ways their roster composition, their philosophies are so similar. I think a lot of it is going to have to do with those kind of penetration traits that the Thunder are going to have, which I don't think the Spurs are going to be able to match. Well, and I think this is where two players on the Spurs roster needs to step in and – one of them needs to have a breakout season next year, and I'm looking at Kyle Anderson. They don't they call him slow mo, but he really isn't. You know, he's that crafty, silky, smooth, old school kind of player who can get to the lane. He is, he he reminds me a lot of uh, old school Paul Pressy. You know that you know get like like how do you get how do you get into the lane? You know he moves so so slow, but he he can't slash to the basket. And then another player on the Spurs roster that has crazy athleticism is Jonathan Simmons. You know, he started last year strong. I mean, he was, you know, getting national attention uh, from his style of play. You know, he can't slash to the basket. He's a big dude. Uh, you know, but his, the knock on him last year was that he couldn't get a consistent shot going, and eventually that kind of bit him in the butt, and he ended up getting buried on the bench, and then we didn't hear from him. So as far as slashing is concerned, they may not have it from the guards, so, so to say, like they're point guards, but they have it in a couple of other guys, Jonathan Simmons and small forward Kyle Anderson. So the Thunder finished 12th in points allowed per possession last year, defensive efficiency. The Spurs were first. Ben, they were first all year. I mean, they their defense fell off a little bit in the second half. They were second, I think they were second in the league behind Atlanta in defensive efficiency after the All-Star break. Uh, but I mean, you know, we're still talking about Second, uh, this was you know one of the best defenses we've seen in the NBA in years from a statistical standpoint, from an execution standpoint. I mean they were they were unbelievable. You kind of alluded to it before. I think that defense is going to fall off a little bit this year. I mean, look, Kawhi is the best defensive player in the NBA, uh, but I think the defense is going to fall off. Losing Tim Duncan is a hurt for the defense. Replacing him with replacing him with Pau Gasol and 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 David Lee. That's a hurt for the defense. They are not the defensive players that even 40-year-old Tim Duncan is. Uh, exactly. Who do you think finishes? I think the, the Thunder, even losing after losing Ibaka and Durant, I think they're going to be better on defense this year because I think Adams is going to get more minutes. I think he's going to be way better. I think Robertson's gotten good. I think Oladipo's an above-average defender. Uh, and I think they're going to play some schemes that are uh, that are going to help their 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 defenders get super aggressive. I think they'll force a lot of turnovers and, and play a high pace. I, I think... Now, granted, forcing forcing turnovers versus getting a getting a miss doesn't make a difference in defensive efficiency, but it, you know it, it saves you a possession. Uh, I think I think they're going to be a top ten defense this year. Now, I think these defenses could end up being pretty pretty close, and I think the Thunder could end up a higher ranked defense than the Spurs this year. I think it's possible we see 
a, a, a relatively large, when I say relatively large, I don't mean like to the bottom half of the league or anything, but just from, you know, this is the best defense we saw in the NBA according to defensive efficiency in what, like five years? If they drop, you know, out of the top five, I consider that a relatively large drop. And uh, I think we could see these defenses around the same point. I think it's possible the Thunder have a are higher ranked in defensive efficiency this year than the Spurs. Uh, what do you say about that? Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I, I the Spurs are going to see a uh, not a small, but I want to say a large. I would say a medium uh, drop in defensive efficiency. The Thunder, you know, the the makeup of their roster. Even if Durant didn't go and he stayed and and Duncan didn't tired, there was going to be a uh, drop off in the Spurs and. You know, right away, you, you know, you look at that. I look at Adams. I look at Cantor. I look at Roberson. You got some defensive-minded uh, players on that roster. But I wouldn't knock the Spurs completely off the map. I know you're not, but I mean, for those who are listening, you know, don't you know think that the Spurs are going to be non-existent when it comes to defensive ratings and efficiency, because people forget that Danny Green is one of the most underrated perimeter defenders. In the the league, I, he's he's up there. He may not be Kawhi Leonard, he may not be like a Ron Artest back in his day, but he is a very efficient defender out on the wing. So, I think that's going to help the Spurs at least maintain and keep their necks above water defensively next year. And unlike maybe being up to their waist in water with Duncan there, but so yes, there will be a significant drop off. But I wouldn't say they're completely off the map. But I do agree with you. The Thunder's defense, as it stands right now, and roster-wise, and projecting it out, they are a better d- defensive team than San Antonio. Yeah, I, I, I know. I'm, when I say complete dry, I don't think it's going to be a. I mean, I think they'll be in the top ten this year. I think they'll be in the top yeah, ten. Exactly. But I, but I think if they finish something like in the eight to ten range, just going from best defense in five years to eighth to tenth best defense, while well, that's going to be good enough for a high playoff seed in my mind. Um, it, 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 you know, just. It isn't anything historic, and last year what we saw from the Spurs defense was statistically historic, uh, and and that you know you can argue large. I guess we're just discussing the 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 difference in our definitions of large right now, and 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 agreeing on the rest. Yeah. But uh, these, well, you you also got to figure this too is that you know, I cover the Spurs, so I know I, I've seen top quality defense for years. So even if it's two steps back to me, that's like oh my god, though, the world is collapsing. <laughs> They're not the same defensive team, so it's just going to take a little adjustment. Not only for the Spurs, you know, to get used to maybe, dare I say, they may try to go in an offensive-minded uh, year next year, you know. But I uh, know Pop and coaches have, I highly doubt that. So these three teams play, or these two teams play three times this year. So January 31st, that's in San Antonio, March 9th in Oklahoma, and March 31st, uh, again in OKC. Obviously, the Spurs are the favorites to finish higher in the standings this year. It, there's no debating that. Uh, Spurs finished with 12 more regular season wins last year, 67 compared to 55. The Thunder beat them in the playoffs. So it's not necessarily about regular season wins or standing. It can just be about matchups. And I'm wondering how you think these two teams specifically match up against each other. Because I, I think uh, I think this could be – or I'll see – because I'm going to ask you a bold prediction about the season series too. So I want to know how you think they match up. And give me a bold prediction on something in the season series. Because I have a bold prediction, which I think will – will swing, which kind of swings my opinion of what I think about this matchup. Okay, so how I see this regular season series going between these two clubs, I, I look at it and I say, well, the Spurs, they have the edge. 
I think their additions of Gasol, Deadman, Hawaii's only going to get better. Lamarcus is going to get better. You know, and I'd, I'd look at what the Thunder did to the Spurs last season with Durant and which was certain extent Ibaka. You know, I say those two guys are gone. Uh, you know, the Thunder are starting all over again. Y'all didn't really make a big splash in the off season uh, as far as trying to fill that void that Durant. But then again, who, what player can fill that void for OKC? So when I, I look at this, I say the Spurs probably get the um, season series edge. I see. Um, I think they played three times, I believe. So um, two to one, I see that. Um, I definitely see a, uh, a Popovich pulling a mind game game, sitting down, <laughs> Gasol and, and, and uh, Kawhi in one game and saving them for a long term. But as far as bold prediction is concerned, between these two play these two teams, I see a rematch. I see. I, I think that these teams are going to face each other again. And I dare I say it goes seven seven games. I think heading into it, I can see the national media, myself, yourself, saying, "Oh my God, the Spurs are probably going to beat beat the Thunder in six games or five games." But I think it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a war, and I can definitely see this these two teams meeting up once again in the West playoffs, going seven games, and Westbrook just going out of his mind and just playing like a man possessed against. Um, one of the big teams in the West, and that being the Spurs. So I here here's that that's that's a perfect transition. So thank you. I I think that my my I said I had a kind of bold prediction. I think that Russell Westbrook's uh, best game of the year in terms of just his line. I think it's going to come against San Antonio. I think he matches up really well with San Antonio. I don't think Tony Parker is the best defensive matchup for him. Uh, I think he can out-physical Tony Parker. I think he can take him off the dribble. I also think that they're going to probably have a strategy of just putting whoever Pau Gasol is guarding in the pick-and-roll or whoever David Lee is guarding in the pick-and-roll. And I think that's going to be an issue for them because Russell Westbrook can turn those guys around quickly. I think this matchup works really well for Russell Westbrook. I think that March 31st game... I'm pretty sure that the Spurs' previous game before that is against Golden State. So that might be a prime game where Pop rests, guys. So I I think, based on wild speculation, six months in advance of the games, which means nothing, I think that the Thunder <laughs> are going to end up taking two of those games. But I my, my bold prediction for, for, this, for, for the Spurs-Thunder series this year is I, I think Russell Westbrook's biggest line of the year comes against San Antonio. He's going to go hard because one of the best teams in the league. Uh, I, I think... You know, I still think yeah, they're, yeah. they're going to be really good defensively, but I, I just think the, the the specific matchups, the pick-and-roll matchups against Westbrook, the one-on-one matchups for Westbrook. Now, obviously, Kawhi is going to guard him some, and Danny Green's going to guard him some, but I don't think that's going to happen as much as they did in the playoff series. Both those guys are unbelievable defenders. The Spurs are the best wing defenders in the NBA in Kawhi and Danny Green. I don't think there's any question about that when you talk about shooting guard, small forward defensive players. I mean, that's the premier duo. I, I can't even think of anybody... Who would uh, who would match that if you're going to consider? Unless you're going to consider, you know, maybe maybe um, you know Iggy and and uh, and Clay or or Iggy and and Durant if Durant is going well or something like right. that. But uh, but but I I think the Spurs the Spurs have that have that locked up. Just just Kawhi is Kawhi is that good in my mind as as a as a wing defender. Um, but but that being said, I don't think Pop pulls out all the stops in the regular season to guard Russell Westbrook. He didn't do that last year. 
Um, and, and maybe it's a little bit different because now they don't have to worry about guarding Kevin Durant and Kawhi doesn't have to guard, you know, a, a, an unbelievable wing because the Thunder don't really have that guy. And I think that's something we'll see a lot this year. We're going to see a lot of wings guarding Russell Westbrook because the Thunder don't have a wing that you have to guard and you can hide a point guard on Andre Robertson. But, uh, but I, it just seems to me like a good matchup for Russell Westbrook. And one of those games, I think we're going to see Tony Parker on him a lot. And I think we're going to see Russ just, you know, go for some crazy stat packing line in that game. Yeah, and if I had to predict West, I mean Russ's uh, big game, I, I would think it'd be against the Warriors. That's my guess. I would say yeah, it'd be the Warriors. It's Durant, his former teammate, the team that beat them. I mean the, the team, yeah, that that pretty much came back, uh, won three in a row, and bounced them out of the, the postseason. I definitely see Westbrook having his biggest night, uh, one of his biggest nights versus the Warriors, and then it's the Spurs too. But I just see that Warriors team and. Maybe if I was in a Russell Westbrook's locker room right now, he has a big old red pin and circling that date between GSW and OKC. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the conventional pick, right? That's the conventional yeah. one. But I, I want to get a little bit more creative. I, I think there's also a chance he uh, – Lord knows what his numbers are going to be two games into the year because the first game is in Philadelphia and the second game is home against Phoenix. So – he could just go, like, I don't know what he's going to be averaging two games into the season, but it's going to be something outrageous, I feel like, because he could he could just go nuts in, in either of those two games. Uh, Jeff, before we go, anything to plug? Uh, yeah, Anything you want to tell the people about Locked On Spurs or anything else? Give us a Twitter handle, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Locked On Spurs is part of the Locked On Podcast Network with Mr. Katz as well and Locked On Thunder. And go out there. It's audioboom.com slash Locked On Spurs. I recently did an interview with one of the foreign prospects, Ryan Richards' agent, and it's a very revealing uh, talk regarding this, um, how can I say this, much maligned player that Spurs fans really do not like. But he's in training camp. Go listen to what his agent has to say on Lockdown Spurs. And, of course, I am the Spurs writer for News 4 San Antonio and Fox 29 San Antonio. You can catch all my work there. Follow me at Jeff G. Spurs Zone. And uh, let's have a chat. Let's talk about basketball. All right. Awesome. That was fun. Before we head out, remember, I'm on every weekday now, Monday through Friday. Same with Jeff. So this week I'm doing crossover episodes like I talked about yesterday. Uh, that's going to be that's going to be all week and uh, some more today with Spurs. And I'm going to get some more talk. Also, think of a crossover episode. It's just hosting with another locked on post. I'm going to be talking about Ibaka and Oladipo on a later podcast. Some waiters talk, some Warriors talk. We're going to get it all in. It'll be a fun week. If you're subscribed to the show, you'll be all good on getting those. Head on to iTunes and subscribe to Locked On Thunder or Locked On Spurs there. If you have any questions or comments, email LockedOnThunder at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z, or log on to NormanTranscript.com for all your Thunder needs and check out Thunder Road. That's my blog there to follow team coverage and what's next for the Thunder. That's going to do it for today. I'm back with you tomorrow for more Thunder and NBA talk. Until next time, though, Locked On Thunder is locking up. Locked On Thunder.